Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our podcast tonight. We have the opportunity to have a story this evening from the Legends of the Jews. And uh, this week has been the tour portion of Shemot. And in this tour portion, we have the story, of course, of the burning bush, Moshe going up to Mount Horeb, which is, which is the same as Mount Sinai or Mount Sinai. And he has the experience of the, the burning bush. And it's there that Hashem gives him his call to go and to to um, save the Jewish people from the hands of Pharaoh from and get them out of Egypt. What's interesting about this, and I brought this down on the Aliyah on the YouTube channel, and that is that that the call to go and affect the Exodus, to go and, and have the Exodus, began at Mount Sinai, and God said to Moshe when he was saying to him. How do I know if I, you know, if I'm the right person? Basically, I, who am I that you should send me? And Hashem tells him that the sign that you are in fact the true redeemer is going to be that you will bring the people back to this mountain to worship me. And what that means, of course, is that the purpose of the Exodus, the reason I am setting my people free from slavery, is so that they can come and receive the Torah. So anyway, we're looking at the Legends of the Jews. Uh, if some of you are familiar with the Legends of the Jews, some of you have never heard of it before, it's published by JPS. It's a wonderful publication. It's a compilation uh, of various Midrashim, Zoroastic, Kabbalistic writings, Talmudic writings, various other commentaries, collected and put into um, kind of a narrative form, in the form of stories. I recommend if you get the Legends of the Jews that there's a, there's a two-volume set you're going to want to get the two-volume set. I think there's a five-volume set as well. I'm not really f as familiar with the way that was laid out. I've had my set for a number of years. And if you get the two-volume set, uh, it has not not only the, the, the stories in there, but it also has, um, most importantly, the references and, uh, attached to each uh, article. If you happen to have the two-volume set, I'm in volume one, and I'm on page 501. We'll be reading this evening two two uh, excerpts. One uh, called the burning the burning thorn bush, and then the very next entry, which is the ascension of Moshe. Because tonight I want to focus in on a very interesting uh, episode in which Moshe um, encounters Mimtet. Now, we don't typically pronounce the name of Mimtet uh, because it's similar to the divine name, but just for educational purposes here. I'm only going to say it this one time. Uh, Hashem should protect the name. It is Metatron. So Memtet, that is who Memtet is. And there's a lot that's said and written about Memtet. There are various ideas. Some of them seemingly conflict. It is our contention in Lapid Judaism that ultimately Memtet is Yeshua. And I think that the putting all the pieces of the puzzle together pretty much illustrate that beyond any reasonable doubt. Um, nevertheless, you're going to read in the story today that there is an idea that Memtet is Enoch and so forth. The reason why there's so much mystery behind the nature of this being, this entity, is because the being is basically the same as Hashem, but, but, but then not, but is. And so basically what you have is you have Memtet ultimately becomes, and, and from a Zoroastic, Kabbalistic point of view, Memtet is actually the manifestation of the Shekinah in the terrestrial universe. It's kind of deep, didn't mean to go that deep, but trying to give you a little bit of introduction as to why this is such an interesting episode. But let's begin with this entry, the burning thorn bush of when Moshe 
goes up to um, the thorn bush itself because there's some interesting ideas about it as we look at this story presented to us from the ancient Jewish texts. So it says, When Moshe drew near to Mount Horeb, he was aware at once that it was a holy place, for he noticed that passing birds did not alight upon it. There was no birds that landed on this mountain. It's too holy. At his approach, the mountain began to move, and, and as though to go forward and meet him. And it settled back into quietude only when his foot rested upon it. You know, it's interesting because in the Judaism, we don't accept the apostolic letters in general as scripture. And of course, we we all know that Paul was a heretic and we, we reject his theological teachings uh, in, in uh, all of them, right? But what's interesting, though, is as you read those texts, they are informative in as much as, ironically, uh, they, they attest to the validity of oral Torah. Paul and his writings, even the writings that he didn't really write but were attributed to him, actually validates oral Torah repeatedly by stating as matters of fact things that can only be found in the oral Torah. His theological opinions are, of course, heretical and not true and cannot be validated in Scripture naturally. We've talked about that extensively over a number of different teachings. But putting that aside... It is ironic that the people that love Paul and think that he's amazing um, actually reject oral Torah. And of course, because they reject oral Torah and they haven't the foggiest idea what the oral Torah is or what it says or anything like that, unbeknownst to them, the God that they love so much actually states several times as matter of fact that certain things that are only recorded in the oral Torah are, in, are indeed true. One of those is from the book of Hebrews in chapter 12. Now, Hebrews, whether or not it was written by Paul, is up for debate. It doesn't really matter. But whoever wrote Hebrews states in chapter 12 that when the Torah was given, the earth shook, that the mountain shook, the mountain moved. And he goes on to make the argument that how much more so will things be moved now that the Messiah has spoken and so forth. Well, What's written in Hebrews, um, you know, theologically, a lot of it, most of it, we can we can talk about it. And there's some things that are true, some things that are not. Most of it is not. But putting that aside, that's not really the, the point of this discussion. The point of the discussion is the fact that the book of Hebrews, because it says that valid, states as a matter of fact something that's written in the Torah and assumes that it's true. And because it is true, of course, that the mountain did in fact move. But who, you can't read that in the scripture, but you can only read that in the Old Torah. So I'm just saying for those who are listening to this broadcast and you're new to P. Judaism, you're trying to figure some things out, now you know that the letters themselves actually validate the oral Torah. So we continue reading. At his approach, the mountain began to move as though to go forward and meet him, and it settled back into quietude only when his foot rested upon it. The first thing Moshe noticed was the wonderful burning bush, the upper part of which was blazing fire, neither consuming the bush nor preventing it from be bearing blossoms as it burnt. For the celestial fire has three pe peculiar qualities. It produces blossoms. It does not consume the object around which it plays. And it is black of color. The fire that Moshe saw in the bush was the appearance of the angel Mikael or Michael, who had descended as the forerunner of the Shekinah herself to come down presently. So, Michael was not the entity in the middle of the bush. He was the fire of the bush, and he was there to act as a forerunner for the Shekinah who was about to come down and, and manifest in the middle of the bush. That's the, as the scripture says, the angel that was in the center of the bush from which 
Moshe heard the voice speaking. That is, in fact, the Shekinah, which, of course, is the same as God, which is also the, happened to be the same thing as Mimtet. So it says, it was the wish of God to hold conference uh, with Moshe, who, however, was not inclined to permit any interruption of the work under his charge. Therefore, God startled him with the wonderful phenomenon of the burning thorn bush that brought Moshe to a stop, and then God spoke with him. There were good reasons for selecting the thorn bush as a vessel for divine vision. It was clean, for the heathen could not make use of it for its idols. God's choosing to dwell in the stunted thorn bush conveyed the knowledge to Moshe that God himself suffers along with Israel. So this is an interesting point too, because it's pointing out that God suffers along with his people, which of course we gain that knowledge not just from the life of Mashiach Yeshua, but also from his atoning work. Furthermore, Moshe was taught that there is nothing in nature, not even the in, insignificant thorn bush, this, that, is, that does not or cannot exist without the presence of the Shekinah. This is a fundamental tenet in Judaism, which is really a defining and definitive factor that separates Judaism from pretty much every other false religion. And that is, or every other religion which is false. And that is that God is intimately involved with every minute thing to include uh, the blade of grass that grows, the leaf that falls from the tree. None of that happens unless Hashem ordains it. And so that's what's saying here, that this is to teach us, the reason he came to a lowly thorn bush is to, is to teach us this very thing. Besides, the thorn bush may be taken as a symbol for Israel in several respects, as the thorn bush is the lowliest of all species of trees, so the condition of Israel in exile is the lowliest as compared with that of all the other nations. But as the thorn bush releases no bird that alights upon it without lacerating its wings, so the nations that subjugate Israel will be punished. Also, as a garden hedge is made of thorn bush, so Israel forms the hedge of the world. The garden of God, for without Israel the world could not endure. Furthermore, as the thorn bush bears thorns and roses alike, so Israel has pious and impious members. And as the thorn bush requires ample water for its growth, so Israel can prosper only through the Torah, which is the celestial water. And the thorn bush, the leaf of which consists of five leaflets, was to indicate to Moshe that God had resolved to redeem Israel only for the sake of the merits of the five pious men, Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Aaron, and Moshe. The numbers represented by the letters composing the Hebrew word for the thorn bush, which is Sena, add up to 120 to convey that Moshe would reach the age of 120 years and that the Shekinah would rest upon Mount Orav for 120 days. Now finally, in order to give Moshe an illustration of his modesty, God descended from the exalted heavens and spoke with him from a lowly thorn bush instead of the summit of some lofty mountain or the top of some, some stated cedar tree. It's interesting that he used a cedar tree here because the pagans are accustomed to use cedars or some other type of uh, evergreen for their pagan devices. Hence the Christmas tree, which is absolutely the Asherah pole of Jeremiah 10. But God does not choose to be in such a fine tree. He, he, he chooses just a, a lowly thorn bush, something meek and mild. Why? Because God is meek and mild. And it's an example to us that we should be meek and mild uh, even though we are exalted, as it were. So now we come to the second entry, the ascension of Moshe. 
So it's interesting because Moses ends up taking a journey at this time to both heaven and hell. And uh, by the way, this is one of the reasons why in Lapid Judaism, we believe absolutely 100%, it can never change our mind, that the Mashiach is divine. And there's lots of reasons we, we believe that. I won't get into all of that. Uh, they're all valid. But one of the reasons is because, look, the idea that some mere human being is going to show up and affect salvation for Israel is just, frankly, silly. And it's not paying attention to what has already happened. The greatest human being who's ever walked the planet, I'm talking about this mere human, is Moshe. No one is greater than him. There's been no prophet greater than him. There's nobody, I mean, nobody greater than Moshe, okay? Moshe spoke to God face to face, it says in Numbers chapter 12. He went up into Shmayim. He went, he went down into Gehinnom, all seven levels of both. The, the sages, or excuse me, the sources bring down that he saw all seven levels of Shmayim and all seven levels of Gehinnom. And, of course, all the other interactions with Hashem and the tabernacle on top of the mountain. This, wasn't, this was not the first time. This, he's going to make, go to Shemayim here. But he's going to do it again when he goes to receive the Torah. He comes down with the Torah made of the sapphire, the hewn out of the, of the, uh, out of the throne, a foundation of God. Listen, the fact the point I'm trying to make is there's no human. I'm sorry. There's no human that's going to ever reach that level. Literally that level. Okay. So, at the end of the day, Moshe, as great as he was, as amazing as he was, as wonderful as he was, he was not able to bring us into the promised land. So, there you go. So, we, you're going to have a, a, a human greater than Moshe? I don't think so. In fact, even in Judaism we teach, there will never ever be a prophet, i.e. a human being greater than Moshe. So, We've already we've already made a decision in Judaism. There's never going to be anybody greater than Moshe. So how could it be a human? You see. So in order to be greater than Moshe, you have to be something greater than Moshe in essence, which means you have to be divine. Just, to me, it's not complicated. It's not even hard to wrap my head around. It's just it makes total sense. But anyway, so now we have the ascension of Moshe. This occurs at the burning bush. It says the vision of the burning bush appeared to Moshe alone. The other shepherds with him saw nothing of it. I read that line, I immediately thought of Paul. It's interesting. The story of Paul and his vision on the road to Damascus, there's lots of problems with that story. I haven't had a chance really, I haven't taken the chance, I should say, or taken the opportunity to teach on it, but it's a very shady story. It's very likely it never happened. It's probably made up completely, well, not, not probably, it is. Um, there's, and there's lots of reasons for that. I'm sure for those Christians who are listening to me right now or those who are coming out of the Christian background and not really sure about Paul or kind of wringing your hands about him, he's nothing but a bundle of confusion and you're confused and not sure what to think of him, which is completely understandable. What I just said to you probably sounds a little shocking, maybe nutty, but trust me, it's true. But it's interesting because Paul, as we've already said in this broadcast, that he was well aware of oral teachings, oral Torah teachings, and he knows that, listen... Um, Moshe had this vision of this of of the burning bush, and nobody there was other shepherds with him, but nobody saw it but him. So Moshe, or excuse me, Paul, he wants to be the next Moshe. He wants to create a new religion. He wants to relieve people out of Judaism and into uh, some type of um, 
Hellenistic Roman variant of something. And so what better way to be the Moshe? Look, God appeared to Moshe. No one saw it but him. And so here he is. Look, I'm like the Moshe, you see. So it's very, uh, you can see where this would be. He tried to be appealing. Of course, it's not going to be appealing to Jews because the minute you start saying that the Torah has been abolished, which even the Mashiach did not say that, you're automatically a heretic according to the Torah. So there could never be a Mashiach who would ever abolish in any way, shape, or form, not even one mitzvah of the Torah. The minute he, he violates the Torah, he's automatically a heretic according to the Bible. That's why his message did not work so well for Jews. So he went to the Gentiles. Why? Because what do they know? No offense to Gentiles. It's not their fault. They just don't know what they don't know. They don't have this information. So anyway, when I read that, I thought about that. But let's go on. It says, He took five steps in the direction of the bush to view it at close range, and when God beheld the countenance of Moshe, is distorted by the grief and the anxiety over how his people suffered back in, in, in Mitzrayim in Egypt, he spake up and said, the one who is, This one is worthy of the office of pastor of my people. Why? Because he cares. Moshe was still a novice in prophecy, therefore God did not, want, did not want to startle him. So it goes on to say that God utilized the voice of his father, um, Amram, and that gave uh, comfort to Mo uh, Moshe. He thought, hey, listen, I, this is my dad talking. Uh, so it turns out that God says, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Yitzhak, the God of Yaakov. And these words caused Moshe to rejoice greatly for it was not only that God was using the sound of his father's voice, but his, it was basically his father's voice was used in the same breath as the names of the patriarchs. So it says, Moshe did not say a word. In silent reverence before the divine vision, he covered his face. This indicates, by the way, that the burning bush uh, had within it the presence that is the image, if you will, of God because he didn't want to look at it. If it's just an angel, if it's just a burning bush, you can look at it. But if it's God, you can't look at it. So God disclosed him the mission for which he had charged him of bringing the Israelites from the land of, of Mitzrayim. And he answered with humility, Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and bring forth the children of Israel from Egypt? Thereupon God spoke to him and said, Moshe, thou art meek, and I will reward thee for your modesty. I will deliver the whole land of Mitzrayim into your hand. And besides, I will let you ascend unto the very throne of my glory and look upon all the angels of heaven. So this is what I was talking about. He's what man could be greater than this? He's going to Moshe, while alive, is going to go all the way to the very throne of God, all seven levels of Shemayim, to see all the angels, and uh, then he's going to uh, come back. So it says, and this, by the way, this is the first time this happens. It happens again. There's another story in the Legends of the Jews whereby it des describes in great detail all of the various angels and levels and, uh, and uh, does it here as well. But there's, I think there's another story along the same lines. But in any case, let's continue reading. It says here, um, Hereupon God commanded Memtet, the angel of the face. So Memtet is known as the angel. I want you to put angel in air quotes. I want you to put quotations around it because it's like you're an angel because we don't know what else to call you. So he's the angel of the face, which means in Hebrew, the angel of the presence. Okay. In other words, he's the representation of Hashem, literally. So it says, Hereupon God commanded Memtet, the angel of faith, to conduct Moshe in the, to the celestial regions amid the sound of music and song. He commanded him furthermore to summon 30,000 angels to serve as his bodyguard, 15,000 to the right of him and 15,000 to the left him, of him. In abject terror, Moshe asked Memtet, Who are you? 
The angel replied, I am Enoch, the son of Jared, thy ancestor, and God has charged me to accompany you to his throne. Now, this is, as I said earlier in the broadcast, the very common idea is perhaps perhaps Memtet is, is Enoch. I don't think so. There are other sources that don't think so. This here is saying it as if it were a fact, but uh, again, uh, there are disagreements about that. But moving forward, it says, but Moshe demurred him and said, I am but flesh and blood, and I cannot look upon the countenance of an angel. Whereupon Memtet changed Moshe's flesh into torches of fire, his eyes in the mark of wheels, his strength into an angel, and his tongue into a flame. And he took him to heaven with, the, with that of 30,000 angels, one half moving to the right of them and one half to the left of them. In the first heaven, Moshe saw streams upon streams of water. He observed that the whole heaven consisted of windows out of each which an angel was stationed. Memtet named and pointed out all the windows of heaven to him, the window of prayer, the window of supplication, the window of weeping, the window of joy, the window of plentitude, the window of starvation, wealth and poverty, war and peace, conception and birth, showers and soft rains, sin, repentance, life and death, pestilence and healing, sickness and health, and many more windows beyond that. In the second heaven, Moshe saw the angel Nuriel standing three hundred parsecs high, with the retinent of fifty myriads of angels, all fashioned out of water and fire, and all keeping their faces turned toward the Shekinah while they sang songs of praise to God. And Memtet explained um, to Moshe that these were the angels set over the clouds, the winds, and the rains, who return speedily as soon as they have executed the will of their creator to their station in the second of the heavens there to proclaim praises to God. In the third heaven, Moshe saw an angel so tall it would take a human 500 years to climb to its height. He had 70,000 heads, each head having as many mouths and each mouth as many tongues and each tongue as many saints. Can you, can't you wait to get to Shemayim to see all this? Wow. And together with the suite of 70,000 myriads of angels made of white fire, praise and extol the Lord, these, said Memtet to Moshe, are called Erelim, and they are appointed over the grass, the trees, the fruit, the grain. But as soon as they have done the will of their creator, they return to the place assigned to them and praise God. In the fourth heaven, Moshe saw a temple, the pillars were therefore made of red fire, the stays of green fire, the thresholds of white fire, the boards of class of flaming fire, the gates of carbuncle, and the, pine, the pinnacles of rubies. Angels were entering the temple and giving praise to God there. In response to a question from Moshe, Memtet told him that they presided over the earth. The sun, the moon, the stars, and the other celestial bodies, and all of them intoned songs before God. In this heaven, Moshe noticed also the two great planets, Venus and Mars, each as large as the whole earth. And concerning these, he asked unto what purpose they had been created. And Mibten explained thereupon that Venus lies upon the sun to cool him off in the summer, else he would scorch the earth. And Mars lies upon the moon to impart warmth to her, lest she freeze the earth. Arrived in the fifth heaven, Moshe saw a host of angels, whose nether parts were of snow and their upper parts of fire, and yet snow did not melt, nor did the fire extinguish, for God had established perfect harmony between the two elements. These angels, called Ishim, have had nothing to do since the day of the creation but praise and extol the Lord. In the, in the sixth of the heavens were millions and myriads of angels praising God, and they were called Irin and Kadashin, watchers and holy ones. And their chiefs were made of hail, and, the, and was so, they were so tall, it would take 500 years to walk a distance equal to their height. 
In the last heaven, Moshe saw two angels, each 500 parsecs high, forged out of chains of black fire and red fire, the angels Af, that is anger, and Chema, wrath, whom God created at the beginning of the world to execute his will. Moshe was disquieted when he looked upon them, but Memtet embraced him and said, Moshe, Moshe, thou favored of God, fear not, for don't be terrified, for Moshe became calm, and therefore Moshe became calm. And there was another angel in the seventh heaven, different in appearance from all the others of the frightened main. His height was so great it would take 500 years to cover a distance equal to it, and from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet he was stunned, studded with glaring eyes at the sight of which the beholder fell prostrate in awe. This one, said Memtet, addressing Moshe, is Samael, that is the Satan, who takes the soul away from man. Whither goes he now, asked Moshe, and Memtet replied, to fetch the soul of Job, the pious. Thereupon Moshe prayed to God these words, O oh, may it be thy will, my God, and the God of my fathers, not to let me fall into the hands of this angel. Here, in the highest heavens, he saw also the seraphim with their six wings. With two they covered their face, and they glazed not upon the Shekinah. And with two their feet, which being like a calf's feet they hide, to keep secret Israel's transgression of the golden calf. With a third pair of wings they fly and do service to the Lord, while exclaiming, Kadosh, 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 Adonai Zavot, Melo Kola Aretz Kevodo. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The wings of these angels are of prodigious size. It would take a man 500 years to transverse their length, their breadth, as from one end of the earth to the other. And Moshe saw in the seventh heaven the holy chayot, which support the throne of God. And behold, also the angel Zagzagel, the prince of the Torah and of wisdom, who teaches the Torah in all 70 known languages. Now, why would you do that if you didn't want the Torah to be known for all men? It says they taught it to the souls of all men, and thereafter they cherished the precepts contained therein as law revealed by God to Moshe on Sinai. So the point is here in this statement that all the nations will soon, one day, soon in our time, embrace Torah and therefore embrace the covenant and become Jews. From this angel with the horns of glory, Moshe himself learned all the ten mysteries, having seen that there is in the seventh heaven Having seen what there is in the seventh heaven, he spoke to God, saying, I will not leave the heavens unless you grant me a gift. And God replied, I will give you the Torah, and all men shall call it the law of Moses, the law of Moses. Therefore, the scriptures that we know today are called according to the name of Moses, because of the honor God showed Moses when he took him to the highest heaven. That is our story today. We'll end it there. just wanted you to hear this very interesting rendition of how Memtet was so intricately involved in the first redemption. And that's why he will come himself and be the one who will lead us into the next redemption. Maybe sooner in our time, Bo Yeshua HaMashiach Bo. Good night. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. We'll look forward to seeing you soon on yet another one.